0: Podcast number 477 for the 24th of January 2016. This week, an in depth look at Microsoft's Edge browser is first, followed by a consideration of Bing as a better search engine than Google. In short circuits, AOL considers a name change, a new kind of answer site that's more interested in questions, and an application intended to keep your cats from forgetting their medical appointments in spare parts only on the website microsoft's latest fast ring version of windows 10 is out with few visible changes but with stability improvements that will allow new features in upcoming builds leica has a new three thousand dollar camera and if you want you can throw it into the lake and a code of ethics for software engineers from the institute of electrical and electronics engineers society and the Association for Computing Machinery. If Microsoft's Edge browser isn't your default browser, and probably it isn't, have you at least tried it? Granted, you need to be using Windows 10 to use Edge, but the number of computer owners who have upgraded to Windows 10 is substantial and growing. Users of Firefox or Chrome who depend on browser extensions such as LastPass, Adblock Plus, or any of the hundreds of other add-ons available for those browsers, will find Edge wanting when it comes to extensions. Near the end of 2015, Microsoft finally began to hint about when we might actually begin to see some extensions. Sometime in 2016. Sometime. Developers want Edge to be capable of delivering a personalized web experience, so extensions are a high priority. But so is security. Developers are working on a secure extension model to make Edge both safe and reliable. The difficulty in accomplishing this is clear to Firefox users. Starting with Firefox 41, and by the way, the current version is 44, Mozilla began blocking all unsigned extensions to eliminate malicious scripts. The problem is that numerous extensions no longer work. These include Mozilla's own nightly tester tools, Skype, a variety of add-ons that are useful to website developers, and, at least for a while, most plugins created by antivirus application developers. Mozilla is working on that, and there are some workarounds. Edge has some advantages, though. For one thing, it's fast. That in itself is a big change from Internet Explorer, which wasn't fast. Edge is faster than Firefox and Chrome, according to online browser evaluation services. The difference is fairly minimal, but it's there. Edge is still lacking a bit when it comes to supporting HTML5 features. The reading view is handy, but it's somewhat flawed. For this part, Be sure to check out the images on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The TechBiter Worldwide webpage is fairly busy, and you might like a version that doesn't have so many distracting elements. In that case, click the reading view icon and you'll see a more straightforward page. But I said it's flawed, and I said that because sometimes images from articles near the end of the page are displayed near the top of the page. And the TechBiter site's function that displays larger versions of smaller images that are embedded in the text causes problems for the reading view. After you close one of those larger images, the reading view will still take you back to the top of the page. Why? Sidebars might not be included at all, and I do use a sidebar. Still, if you're looking for just the text from the main article, this is a really handy feature. Browsers such as Firefox can use plugins like Pocket that allow you to capture information about an article that you want to read later. This functionality is built into Edge. Just click the Favorites icon, switch to the reading list, and click Add. And Microsoft is really serious about security these days. Internet Explorer was a primary target for malware writing creeps. So Microsoft has added protections that separate the operating system from Edge. If you click a malware link, the system is supposed to protect your computer. That said, it's important to note that malware writing creeps may be creeps, but they're not stupid. You can be sure that they will be looking for ways to exploit Edge, and they'll probably find some. Edge's new tab page is also another good feature that seems to need a little bit of work. You can turn the new tab page off, or you can customize it, at least to a limited extent, The new tab page shows your top sites, as Internet Explorer did, and it adds suggestions for apps, weather information, sports scores, and videos. There's no address bar, but you can type a URL into the search box, and then you'll see the address bar. On the page, you can eliminate icons for URLs you don't want, but I haven't found a way yet to add URLs, something that's easy to do with other browsers. And once you've navigated to a page, the URL you put in the search box will appear right where you expect it. One of the most significant improvements Edge brings is the ability to annotate pages. This is more relevant for tablet users, but it works even if all you have to write with is a mouse. Edge lets you mark up web pages with a highlighter or a drawing tool and then share them as an image file via email or social apps. This feature isn't yet available in Firefox or Chrome. And maybe you're wondering about Bing. Bing is Microsoft's default search engine, and they'd really, really like it if you'd stop using Google and start using Bing. But is Bing any better than Google? If you're running Windows 10, it might be. And if you're not running Windows 10, it might be. One reason to use Bing is this. Bing pays you. Not a lot, admittedly, but it's more than Google pays, which is nothing. The payments are a feature of Bing Rewards. Searching earns points for you, and you can redeem the points for coupons. For example, if you have about 500 credits, Microsoft will pay for $5 worth of stuff at Amazon or Starbucks or several other merchants. You can earn half a credit per search, up to 30 searches per day. That would be 15 credits. Like I said, it's not much. Use being all the time, and you can earn silver or gold status. That gives you some extra discounts. But does Bing actually work? No matter how much you might earn for conducting searches, it's not a winning proposition if the searches aren't any good. I tried searching for my name on both services. I did that because I know what to expect. And because my name isn't particularly common, it wouldn't get buried in lots of extraneous returns. I thought I should get some hits for my name, possibly some for TechBiter, definitely some for my own website, and possibly for Blinn College in Texas. Well, Google's search returned Blinn College and a map, singer Erica Blinn, an attorney named Blinn, one of my Google Plus postings, and a link to my wife from Google Contacts. Those were all on the first page. Page 2 had some sports stories about Blinn College, a link to a Wikipedia article on the Blinn-Fong shading model, and one to a YouTube video by Tyler Blinn. Page 3 revealed Jim Blinn, he's a computer graphics genius, my artist cousin Blinn Jacobs, and more links to Blinn College. Page 4 described a screenwriter, William Blinn, he's from Toledo, included more Blinn College information, and provided a link to Brandon Blinn Media Group and another attorney. When I ran the search in Bing, Bing's first page of results highlighted Blinn College and included a map and a link to Wikipedia and a link to the Blinn-Fong shading method. Page two had more Blinn College links and a link to William Blinn Communications. Hey, that's me! Page three was primarily filled with Blinn College links And page four had LinkedIn links, information about a house on Blinn Circle in Austin, information about the Blinn family name at Ancestry.com, and an Autodesk link that described soft highlights on Blinn surfaces. I presume that last one had something to do with the Blinn-Fong shading method. Is one set of results better than the other? Well, there are differences, certainly, but both of them seem useful. Or maybe you're looking for a picture you can use coffee beans, for example. I was looking for coffee beans, and you'll see why next week. Both of the search engines returned a good selection of images, and both had options for selecting images that would be available for reuse without a royalty payment. You'll see what Bing brought me, and you'll see what Google brought me. Looks pretty much like a dead heat to me. America Online might be going away. The name, that is, not the service. The service will continue, but it could have another name. Verizon paid $4.4 billion to acquire AOL last year, and the chief marketing officer, Allie Klein, says the name could be changing. I couldn't help but think about when a high-flying AOL bought Time Warner. That merger was considered to be an intelligent move at the time, AOL was signing up users right and left, but then people learned that they didn't have to stick with slow dial-up connections and AOL's training wheels. Then AOL's subscribers started defecting in droves. There are still some people who use AOL, about 2.3 million of them in fact. That's down from about 26 million in 2002, and AOL loses about another half million or so users every year. Along the way, time dumped AOL, and most people probably still think of AOL as the company that sent out millions of floppy disks, and later CDs, as the You've Got Mail company, and maybe as the company that dumped newbies by the millions onto the internet. Klein told Business Insider that the name has a lot of legacy and meaning. Legacy and meaning could also be termed baggage. AOL, in fact, owns some popular services such as MapQuest and Huffington Post. It's not just modems, slow connections, and email. After acquiring AOL last year, mainly to obtain AOL's advertising platform on both mobile and broadband networks, Verizon launched a mobile video service called Go90. The video service is supported by ads, it offers some TV shows, and some original work. AOL's marketing staff is about evenly split on whether a new name is needed or not. People in large groups can be intelligent. If you show a jar of jelly beans to about a thousand people and ask them to guess how many jelly beans are in the jar and average the answers, the result will probably be very close to the actual number. I proved this to myself recently with a much smaller group. About 50 people were asked to observe a pumpkin and guess its weight. The range of answers was relatively large, but the average was within three pounds of the exact weight of the pumpkin, which was about 55 pounds. That's the logic used for crowdsourced answers, and a new operation is in the process of being spun up. The URL is pretty clever, yes.no. The .no top-level domain is for Norway, but the organization running the site is in Israel. It's being called a Q&A social network that's intended to enable crowd interviews of public figures and celebrities. Apparently, the idea is that all of us together will be able to think of better questions than any one of us could do individually. Co-founder and CEO Asif Levy says that the primary difference from other sites is that yes-no doesn't involve questions that are asked to the community, but questions from the community that are addressed to specific users. Levy says that celebrities use social media to engage with their fans, but there's no existing platform designed around the concept of answering questions. The new service will enable meaningful interactions, according to Levy. An upvoting feature allows users to support the questions they really want answered. This is crowd interviewing, he says, and we want people to be heard. The site is operational right now in 11 languages, including English, Spanish, Hebrew, German, French, Japanese, Chinese, and Russian. By the end of the first quarter, it's expected to be operational in 40 countries and 30 languages. You'll find a link to the Yes/No website from the TechBiter Worldwide website. mobile applications that are intended to help people identify beers and wines they'll like and then help them find those beers and wines are merging. Untapped and Next Glass say that merging their science-based alcohol software will create a powerhouse combination that will provide an unparalleled beer experience. That sounds like something right up my alley. Or is it right down my alley? Software developed by Next Glass uses scientific methodology and machine learning to deliver personalized recommendations to consumers, breweries, wineries, and retailers. The company has analyzed the chemistry of tens of thousands of bottles of wine and beer. The information, they call it DNA by the way, has been stored in their Genome Cellar database. You'll find a link to NextGlass on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Untapped is a popular mobile app that allows users to share a brew virtually with a friend who's online. It's also designed to let you know what your friends are drinking and where. And there's a link to Untapped from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Untapped co-founder and chief technical officer Greg Avola says the merger will allow continued growth while maintaining the Untapped brand without making changes that might rattle the user community. Next Glass founder and CEO Kurt Taylor says the merger gives untapped users access to data from Next Glass. The merger, he says, will create a powerful combination that'll provide consumers and businesses around the world with ways to share, socialize, and learn about beer. So, cheers! Your dog or cat sometimes forget to go to the vet, or maybe your cat has been gaining weight lately and refuses to exercise. Bayer, that's the aspirin company, has released an app that people who are owned by pets can use to manage healthcare and vet appointments. Users set up profiles for their pets, and the application can send reminders about immunizations and other medications needed by the pets. By the way, besides aspirin. Bear also markets numerous products for pets such as Advantix, Advantage, and Soresto. Those are all flea-controlled products. And Zelnate for farm animals. Bear positions Zelnate as not a vaccine and not an antibiotic. That could raise questions about exactly what it is, but I digress. The application PetLife is available for Apple, Kindle Fire, and Android devices. The app maintains the pet's vital information and sends reminders when treatments and appointments are due. Because most pets and farm animals don't have email accounts, the alerts are sent to humans. The Pet Life app isn't just for cats and dogs, though. People who are owned by ferrets and rabbits can use it, too. Users store information about a pet's vet appointments and treatments, pet health insurance renewals and birthdays, the pet's weight, notes, links to a veterinary practice for quick access, and information about a pet's microchip information. The app is available in Apple and Android stores. And available only on the website. In spare parts, Microsoft's latest Fast Ring version of Windows 10 is out. There are few visible changes, but there are lots of stability improvements that will allow new features in upcoming builds. Leica has a new $3,000 camera. And if you want, you can throw it into a lake. And there's a new Code of Ethics for Software Engineers from the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Society and the Association for Computing Machinery. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.